And we are live back with another episode of Shifting the Narrative on Everything Autism. I'm Torin Kearns, and as usual, I'm joined by the Autism Stage yourself, Mama Baden. How are you? I'm good. I'm good today. I'm really good today. <laughs> you don't Last say that week. with a lot of conviction. Last week, I was like, good. I'm good. I'm, a, I'm okay. I'm fine. Everything is fine. I know. I know. There's this show. Um, Oh my gosh, what's the name of that show? The Old Christine, uh, Adventures of Old Christine. And so there's an episode where her son soothes himself to sleep. And when anything happens, he says, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. So every time something happens, I'm like, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. <laughs> Whenever someone says it is what it is, that's like code for like, I know. <laughs> yeah, last week was not a good week. Um, but... I was able to take a couple of, um, I guess, if you want to call it mental health mornings and just close my laptop and ignore the rest of the world, um, which is why we're here to talk about what we're going to talk about today, um, which I don't even know. Do you even have any clue what I want to talk about today, Torn? Well, st so Stacy kept giving me the topic and I just couldn't quite understand it. Like I got, I knew what the word meant, but how she wants to cover it, I wasn't quite getting. So we're sort of going to do this organically where she talks and I sort of just figure out stuff to say to sound <laughs> like I'm useful. And for some reason, those tend to be our best podcasts. So here we go. What's our topic for today, Stacey? All right. So the topic is kind of, um, you know, if I were to think of a topic title that were sort of like startling, I would say inclusion versus segregation, right? Like in the schools, like what should that, which, which is better? So this is what I wanna talk about. What I wanna talk about is inclusion, right? In the classroom setting, like the kids going into the mainstream classroom um, and everybody feels good about that. And um, our children should have access to the general curriculum. My point is, Children can have access to the general curriculum wherever we bring the general curriculum. Like if they're in this classroom, we can bring the general curriculum into that classroom. The difference between, this is just me in terms of experience in the school system, starting from before we did mainstream, when mainstream was a new thing and scary, and now it's just the norm. The, the, the trouble I have with the everybody should be in an inclusive setting is it does no good if there are no supports in place, right? It just makes people feel better about the fact that they have an all-inclusive setting. However, my, my frustration is that inclusion is the end all, right? That if they're not in a gen ed setting, then they're not going to be able to gain the skills they need to compete in the world and whatever it is that people have on their minds. Um, I just don't agree with that because a long time ago when we had resource rooms, like resource classrooms, um, we used the general curriculum. Those kids, those students had access. We just modified it in order to meet their needs, right? The difference between kids who have a different classification than autism. Inclusion is usually extended time, you know, shorter list of answer or questions to answer. Our children, our neurodivergent autistic children 
need to have support in place in the mainstream setting. That need is around the sensory component. That need is around the communication component. And the need is also around helping the other kids in the classroom understand why Johnny spends, right? Why does he need that sensory support? And the only reason I think it's important for the other kids to know is because we're not going to be able to shift the narrative in our communities and build communities that are totally inclusive if nobody understands what they can do, right? Like we know uh, ramps are make it inclusive, right? For folks in a wheelchair. And I know we've talked about this a little bit. We've talked about the movie theater, right? The, the problem I have is everyone just keeps saying inclusion, but no one's coming up with a plan so that it can be successful for the student. And May is a hard month for me because it's the end of the school year in the States and lots and lots of stuff is revealed, right? Like, oh, my child's been sitting in a second grade classroom in an inclusive setting. We feel so good about that. And they're only able to do kindergarten work. That's unacceptable. That sounds like public school. Yeah, it does sound like public school, but it's happening everywhere in private school as well. So my, my struggle is that we need to, I guess now that I'm sort of verbalizing it, we need to shift the narrative around what does inclusion mean and what is wrong with not being in mainstream all day if it's not the setting that works best for you. And that's not just our autistic children, right? There are lots of children in school that 30 kids in a classroom is too much right? It's just too much. So I wanted to talk about what we need to start looking at so that we can be successful if we're going to keep doing this inclusion thing. What are we going to do? Like, what are we going to do? We have to shift the narrative around what that looks like. It's not just Bobby sitting in a classroom with his sister, Seriously, that is not going to get Bobby a job. It's not. It's not going to get him a job or a high school diploma. What are your thoughts on it? Because I know you've been in the system. Well, with- to be clear, are we talking about inclusion, such as specifically inclusive education, where you put kids with IEPs into class into mainstream classrooms, or inclusion in the general sense of education, like making sure kids with special needs or in special and aren't getting warehoused? and being taught five grades under their level for no re- for no actual reason except well they're special in that mm-hmm. like uh i'm trying so which one are yeah. we explicitly talking about that is a really 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 good um question and thank you for making me get clear about it so i'm thinking of all of the students who are sitting in a first grade class a second grade class Maybe they have a paraeducator that pops in. Maybe they have an ABA that shadows them all day and whisks them away when they have a meltdown. Um, I'm talking about the kids who are in, and I know I'm sort of specifically uh, thinking of the charter schools in the States, but this is also the situation in, in other countries as well. The charter system in the United States, the way it's designed, and I know this because I was a special ed coordinator, your charter will not get approved unless you are doing full inclusion. That means there are no classes where the children are there the majority of the day. 
the minutes on the IEP have to show that they are in the mainstream classroom setting, getting access to the general curriculum. Um, that word drives me crazy. If, if, you, if you didn't notice, you use uh, air quotes for access. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot like when you hear a politician say access to to like healthcare. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it's a it's a word. It means nothing. Yes, yes. Because I'm like, this is 2023. Um, there is a school district in Washington State, and Washington State is one of the states that uh, the military will move families there because they have some pretty good services uh, for um, autistic students. But they had a student who had sensory needs that were just he just could not sit in a classroom setting. Like it was just too much for him. But academically, he could do the work, right? And he didn't really want to like stay home and homeschool. So they got a special classroom just for him with a computer so that he's sitting in his class with no extra stimuli. Of course, there's an adult that's there to supervise and make sure he's safe. And he participates with like that episode on Sheldon with an iPad and Zoom, right? And he's next door, the teacher's teaching, he's participating, he can answer with his device. That is supporting his needs and he has access to the general curriculum. And pushback on that when I've told this story in meetings before is, well, I mean, you know, he's gonna have to learn. Okay, okay, let's just not even go there. We've already talked about that torturing children as children to prepare them to tolerate things as adults is not what we want to do. We've been doing that, that traumatizing to prep them. It's not working. It's not working for autistic adults. Yeah, I, I'm not a fan of that either. Um, I do think there's, and I've talked about this before, there's a certain benefit in being a little uncomfortable. There's difference between that and traumatizing. But when you describe that, I, I have like a smile on my face for all the wrong reasons. Because I can just picture trying to do something like that in the New York City public school system where, <laughs> and this is not an exaggeration, some yeah. schools were so hard up for cash that they mm -hmm. were printing tests on the back of flyers. So the idea of getting another room, yeah. a separate room and Zoom and an iPad, in yeah. a lot of places, the money just isn't there. In New York City's case, and I won't go off on a tangent too far, the mm -hmm. money is there, but it mm -hmm. sort of gets trapped by a combination of bureaucrats mm -hmm. and all the like better neighborhoods, the, the upper middle class neighborhoods. Like there, and I'm not exaggerating once again, there are schools, public schools in the rich areas that have equestrian teams. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, in Brooklyn, in parts of Brooklyn, tests are being printed on the back of flags. Yeah. So all I can think about is and I hate to put it this way, how much of a privilege, unfortunately, having access to inclusion really is because so many people like that that's, that's not an option because the system is mm -hmm. so screwed up. It's one of the yeah. reasons I'm a huge fan of charter schools for all of mm -hmm. their issues. The public mm -hmm. school system is just dead in the water. Yes. It, yes. It's just so, and anyone who says differently has never been in an inner city public school. Exactly. You have, you work there, you attended there, you understand oh, mm -hmm. nothing's going to fix this because the yeah. money is never going to get down to them because no one cares about us. Exactly. And, and there's a lot of money that is allocated and it's not used for things like they need more paper to make copies, right? Um, I can't tell you how many schools I've been into over the years where you go in a room and you're like, 
Are those brand new laptops that are just sitting in the closet and no one's using them? Yeah. So are we just going to sit and look at them and not use them? There's yes. three children in this class over here who don't have a way to communicate and they can't really write. With yes, them. that's exactly what we're going to do. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're, we're just, well, we need just, to do an evaluation all the, all the to see equipment. if they... Yeah, yeah. So, so we need to do an evaluation because we already know they can't write and, and they can't... So what is the evaluation for? Like, this is the stuff. We need to do an evaluation of the evaluation. <laughs> it's evaluations all the way down. So, <laughs> I miss you, Torin. It's been a while. <laughs> all right. So, fast forward, right? Let's say that we have a school like Washington State who's doing it well, right? Arizona's got some good stuff going on, Connecticut's got some good stuff going on. You're doing inclusion and you have supports in place. You have technology. You've got a sensory room. Are you using it to the benefit of the child? Why are we waiting for children to become dysregulated and then whisking them off to the sensory room and saying the sensory room doesn't work? If Johnny gets to use the laptop, that's not fair to the other kids who want to use the laptop. That's mm -hmm. that's sort of stuff they say. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly, exactly what I hear. So my thing is this, if we're going to talk about inclusion, we need to talk about inclusion and how it looks for a child who has an individual education plan. And one of the things I think that we need to start doing to shift the narrative around the education and expectations and our goals is we have to stop saying IEP because people have forgotten that it's an individualized education plan individualized education plan. That means Bobby, who has a disability, or Mary, who is neurodivergent, autistic individual, will have to do her math a little differently maybe than the other kids, and that's okay. Just because they're in an inclusive setting doesn't mean the individual support and the modifications and accommodations go out the door because they're academically proficient. And Torin, this is this is the part that, and, and I hope the listeners are picking up the nuances because this is not about placement, right? This discussion or whatever rant I'm going on, it's not about placement. It's about, are we doing what's in the best interest of our kiddos? Or are we just thinking about what the adults like in terms of making it look and feel good, right? So when you have a parent, you know, I'm sitting in a meeting and, and kids have been in, in the classroom all year, teacher has another reading level, you know, they're three grade levels behind. I'm like, what the hell are we doing in inclusion if it's, they're not making progress? We need to change it, right? But nobody wants to change it because then you have to justify why. And the justification is you didn't do what you needed to do to support them in mainstream. So now they're going to have to go back to a more restrictive environment. That's really the simplicity. Exactly. Of it. And you want to try to avoid uh, special education. In my opinion, this might be controversial as much as possible, because if we're talking about everyone talks about preparing a child for the real world, someone who's in special ed for like 13 years, th there is no preparation going on because you end up in special education because you bombed out of somewhere else. Like everyone <laughs> at the high school I went to mm -hmm. had bombed out of several other schools for various reasons. So when mm -hmm. we'd ask each other, we'd go up to each other, so what are you here for? Like prison. Mm 
That's literally what we say. What are you here for? And they say, oh, well, I've gotten, I punched a dude in the face. I kept fighting with people or uh, I, fa I failed all my classes. Like I, I, I've been kicked out of six schools. Getting kicked out of upwards to double digit numbers at schools was not an uncommon answer. Yeah. And we weren't even that large in school. So that's the problem. It's sort of yeah. seen as because it is effectively mm -hmm. a fallback for when things go wrong. And when it's a fallback, the necessary skills are not being taught. The mm -hmm. grade level education oftentimes is lacking. Mm -hmm. It's sort of just, oh boy, let's just get these people through. Let's just get yeah. them through because they've already failed. That's how they're mm -hmm. viewed at another level. Mm -hmm. So yes. if at all possible, I would like to keep these kids with their peers effectively. Mm -hmm. Because that's what they're going to be with in the real world, since we talk about that so much, the real world with a bunch of air quotes. So, but the problem with inclusion, as you've already stated, is the resources are just not put into it the way they should be. Even in what upsets me the most of what you're saying right now is I kind of understand in places like New York where the resources aren't there, or let me rephrase mm -hmm. that, the resources are being uh, sucked up by rich people. Yeah. But there are states, according to you, where the resources are there, sometimes mm -hmm. in the school themselves, and they're just simply not being utilized because reasons. Mm -hmm. Reasons. Yeah. That's a, that's effectively what you're saying. Yeah. That pisses me off even more because, like, oh, so you can help these kids, and you're yeah. making an active choice not to. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. I remember finding um, a closet in a school. A, the special ed uh, department office in Texas. And I was like, why are all these iPods here? Oh, they were donated. Um, I said, so what are they going to do with them? Well, they're trying to figure out. I said, well, are we just going to let them sit in the box until they're outdated and they don't yes. want We need to get. So I took the crazy initiative and it's probably one of the things that I may or may not regret, but I took the initiative and said, we've got to find classes to get this to. I will hand deliver them. And I literally hand delivered, set up everybody's iPod on the Mac computer, put all the apps on. And I'm like, we need to use these in the classroom. This is wonderful. What a great tool for kids. It's like, I don't know, Torin. Anyway, so my first point was inclusion versus not, not inclusive, right? Like kids in a self-contained classroom or whatever you want to call it. And, and Everybody has their viewpoint about self-contained. This is what I will say. It doesn't matter about the placement. It doesn't matter if it's self-contained, resource, if it's mainstream, if it's on the rooftop or outdoors. If the children are not being supported in a way they need to be supported, it doesn't matter. They're not gonna be successful. Now, I am old school. And I loved having my students in a, what we used to call, or maybe they still call, self-contained environment, right? When I think of my three to six-year-olds who are in early intervention, we had the option, of course, to go and with the mainstream preschool class, fine. I don't know what they're doing so great in mainstream preschool that we couldn't do in our classroom, right? We're having a blast in my classroom and everybody's making progress because we're all focusing our individual, I mean, our energy on their individual needs. This is back when teachers actually did their job. Well, worked, right? Like we went on Sundays to prep. We went after school. We, 
you know, I mean, we did like work. Like, ooh, that's a controversial statement. I know, right I know, there. I know. I'm not saying that teachers are not working. This is my this is my viewpoint on the controversy. I understand the teaching field has has changed. I could never teach again the way the system is. I understand good teachers are leaving. I get it. But if you're going to be there, you need to do the work. Like seriously, you need to do the work because children are depending on you, and their parents are depending on you. And yes, teachers comment when I make a post about, you know, teachers, you need to blah, blah, blah. And then someone, it's usually the same two people. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, teachers, blah, blah. I'm like, if you are not the teacher I'm talking about, shut up. Seriously. If you know you're doing your job, I'm not talking to you. If you're commenting on one of those things, you are the teacher <laughs> you're talking about. Otherwise, you you'd be so busy, you wouldn't even have time to yes. comment on that. Yes. Yes. I, I remember speaking of busy, I remember um, a teacher that had all of her paperwork in order and all of she would read books like leisure reading at school. And I'm like, so it was time to read books. I, I don't know how she did it, but she did it. But she, I know how she did it. She didn't do anything with her students. She made her paper look wait, work look great. And she was, you know, oh my gosh, you know, we should use her an example. And I said, no, I said, I'm going to tell you the therapist and the special ed teachers who have late paperwork, late IEPs, you know why it's late? They're actually teaching the children. They're actually working with the children. Say, when, I, when I was teaching, I didn't have time for any of that stuff. Nope. They're working with like, the children. Everything, even like, even when I was off hours, a lot of the work I had to do was off hours. Yep. All right. So talked about the placement and then I'm talking about, you know, if we're going to do inclusion. We need to make sure that we remember they still have an individualized plan. So my suggestion, recommendation, demand <laughs> to parents is you need to know what it is that's expected of that grade or by the end of the year. So if your child is going to, you know, transition out of kindergarten and the committee, the IEP committee decides that we're going to go ahead and, and, and go to first grade mainstream class, right? Great. As a parent, do you know what the academic expectations are for the end of first grade? Are you asking those questions or are you just trusting that the school is going to make sure that your child is progressing so that they can go to the second grade and be ready? And that is the, the part that I'm finding is either a communication gap, either the schools are not sharing, but you should not find out in May that your child is two grade levels below. That's not when you should find out your child is not ready for the next grade. You should know. And you should know if they've only been working on colors and numbers for the last three years. You see, this is why I, this is reason number like 1,835,003, why I should never be a parent. Because if I was a parent and someone told me my kid, like at the end of the school year, was two grade levels behind, I'd be like, are they still moving up? Yeah, we're still going to move them up anyway. We have to move everybody up. I'd be like, I'll figure it out. They'll figure it out. Just like I figured it out. 
I was behind on everything. It's like, he'll figure it out. It'll be a learning lesson. You are a, <laughs> is that a unicorn or a, and I'm not saying that some kids don't figure it out. I, I believe I, the term you're looking for is dumb. No, 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 no. Children. So this is what I will say. I'm glad you brought that up because technically most of our kids are not behind, but they're behind on the paper and assessments. And I'll share with you that because I recently, the child that was in the meeting and they said he was two grade levels behind. And my question to them was, so this student is going to the fourth grade and you're telling me that he has been with you all year, all year for third grade, he's been with you. And he's only reading and doing math at a second grade level. So all year he's been with you. And now you're sending him to fourth grade with only second grade. So to be set. fair, that kid was probably on grade level with the rest of his peers too. Oh no, he was, I know he was. <laughs> and that that is my point. I actually just did some work with him. He is definitely on fourth grade, but because he is in an inclusive setting, they have made no accommodations. They have not adjusted anything for his communication style. He needs time to process to be able to respond. They don't give him time to process. So they say he doesn't know the answer. So this is why I wanted to talk about inclusion. Parents, you need to know what the hell is going on in the classroom. And you need to ask questions. And if they don't ask the questions, pop up at the school. Seriously, if people, God forgive me, People can get into a school with an AR-15. A parent should be able to find their way into the classroom to see what the hell's going on. I'm just saying. It's, 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 it's a good point. And uh, I'm just going to say right now, parents, teach your children. There is one valuable skill that will help your child through oh, his no. entire academic career, from kindergarten through college, maybe even his master's, maybe even PhD. Teach your child how to cheat on tests. I would not be where I am right now if I had not learned various methods to cheat on tests. Because I, I am think... not that smart. And no one no no one helped me out. Luckily our piece of education system is based entirely on standardized tests. Learn yes. how to cheat on tests, learn the people <laughs> to cheat off of, learn the tricks and trades. And yep. you can sort of BS your way through your entire academic career. Trust me, tons of successful people do it. That's why yep. every time you go with doctor and doctor says some dumb shit, or every time mm -hmm. you go to anybody who should be, you go to your accountant and you're like, I'm pretty sure this guy can't do math. It's because they can't, but they learned how to cheat on tests and yes. that's how they got through their career. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think it's a matter of, I look at it as, um, almost like a survival technique and a resource. So that, that, that la there was a, a I don't know, video went viral about a, a elementary kid who was asking Alexa for the answers to do his homework. I think that's a brilliant idea. That kid's that's going a places. very smart, oh my gosh. What a, talk about problem solving to use your time efficiently. Smartest freaking kid ever they need to just like Put him to the next grade. And exactly, that, that kid's going places. He, uh, he under he saw a problem and he found a solution in a timely right. manner. We should be teaching everybody that. I think it's perfect. I think it's perfect. Um, he probably already knows how to do half that stuff anyway, and just thought I don't feel like doing it, and I'm just going to have to answer. And if he doesn't know how to do it, who cares? That's good. That, that, that's good allotment of resources. Yeah. Yes. Because everyone 
is not necessary. Every student is not going to excel in every subject. Yeah, though, those people that are those people, right? We know those people. I mean, I knew that girl who got a B and literally had to go to the hospital for a mental health breakdown because she'd never had a B her entire life since she was like in school. I mean, that's a little excessive, but that was her life and, and it is what it is. I'm sure she's hopefully fine, but it's not the end all if children don't make straight A's. However, the end all is if your children, if your child is sitting in a class and they're not getting the information and they're not able to demonstrate what they know, whether it's demonstrating communication wise, and let me bring that up in an inclusive setting. You know, a lot of times we put the, our, our students in an inclusive setting and we're like, oh, you know, academically they're fine. You know, oh, you know, they can handle, you know, the sensory. So are we accommodating their communication needs? Are we allowing time to process? Are we giving them time to be able to participate in a way that works for them, right? Just because they are verbal communicators doesn't mean they always have access to their words, right? The other part is for kids who do use technology for communication, is their device accessible? Is it available? Is it charged? Are you asking them questions? And I'm, I was literally in a meeting yesterday and the team was coming up with this, what they thought was a brilliant idea for this kiddo to have his device and, and use his device. And, and we're going to ask him about animals and he can point to the cow. And I thought, why, why, <laughs> why does he need to point to a cow? Why are we not using it at circle time? And he can tell you what the weather is like all the other kids get to participate. You ask the other kids, look out the window. What is it doing? Is it sunny or is it cloudy? Can't he answer that on his device as well? Instead of pointing to cow when we don't have a cow, there's no cow. He doesn't live on a farm. I mean, seriously, these are the kind of things that the common sense component, I just don't understand why someone in the room and someone at the table doesn't say this doesn't make sense. And that's where I want parents to listen to this and get these little tidbits of me venting. But within that venting, hopefully you're pulling those nuggets of you need to ask questions. You need to know what the heck is going on if your child specifically is in an inclusive setting. You're just thinking they're just doing just fine because that's what the teachers always say. That teachers say two things. They either call you because there's a problem all the time or they don't say anything and they say, oh, they're doing just fine, which means they're not doing just fine because a teacher should be able to tell you more information than, oh, they're doing great. And certainly if a teacher says, oh, we just love him. He's so sweet. That is not why we send our if, children. If, if a teacher is telling you that, if, in my opinion, in my opinion, that's actually a good thing because you'd rather a teacher tell you everything's fine than everything's like, because Teachers tell you everything's fine because they deem you to be annoying as a parent and they don't want to deal with you. If they think you're kind of a pushover and like you're not going to yell at them for not doing their job, they're going to tell you everything that's wrong with your child. If they don't think that you're going to cause them problems, if they think you're going to respond by saying, well, why are you not helping my child? They're very quickly going to just say, yeah, everything's fine because they mm -hmm. don't want to deal with you. I've done that. Like with, parents, with, with kids that were struggling, and mm -hmm. parents would blame us for it. We'd just mm -hmm. straight up be like, yeah, he's fine. <laughs> I get that. Totally get it. I can totally understand that. So that's it's why not a good thing. I'm just saying no. that's what that's yeah. code for. Yeah. Yeah. And and a lot of it is that the teachers don't know how they're doing. 
I mean, seriously, they have no expectations for the kids. They think if, if an autistic student's not throwing a chair, oh, they're doing great. Yeah, they're doing great. Like, not, so he went good. a full three days without having a meltdown. Oh my gosh, so good. They're having oh, a winning good. streak. Yeah. That was one of the things that I brought up in, uh, I guess it's a story to tell, but when I was in a meeting yesterday and they kept saying, Oh, you know, well, we know in front of the child. Well, you know, we know that some days are going to be good days and some days are going to be bad days. And I said, well, you know, I'd like to know what constitutes a bad day. I just a bad day for me, explicitly. When we say a good day or a bad day, we have a bad day for the teacher. Mm -hmm. That's them telling themselves that. Well, some days are going to be good for me and some days are going to be bad for me. My favorite one, though, is like you said, when they talk with the student right there, like, mm-hmm. like like they don't speak English or something. Yeah, yeah. Like they're just having an out of body experience and they're not aware <laughs> of what's going on. They took but. ayahuasca. Yes. So we need to make sure the teachers have expectations if your child's going to be in an inclusive setting. Um, inclusion should not just be for sitting in a room feeling like you belong to part of a group and then all the group gets to graduate high school and get a job and you don't. That's not inclusion. I mean, I don't know what the definition is. Oh, don't worry. We're we're going to graduate anyway. Your reading's at a seventh grade level? Screw it. Here's your diploma. Yeah, I know. I know. But we just got to start talking about what inclusion and what inclusion should look like for your child. Like each child, it's different. For some kids, you know, it's... A great situation and you know uh, things are going well in terms of supports in place but for most kids it's not working and it's not working if you have to have someone sit with a child all day every day to whisk them off because they're having a meltdown that is not inclusive that's even higher level of segregation, if you ask me, because you're not even expecting them to be able to be in the classroom and participate. You're just waiting for something to go wrong so you can take them out instead of setting them up for support, right? Like setting them up for support. And what, what, I, what, and what I don't understand is the sort of, I mean, I understand it comes from ignorance, but mm-hmm. there's sort, of, sort of almost fatalism amongst teachers and parents that meltdowns, frequent meltdowns, violent meltdowns are completely unavoidable and it's just part of your job and god i hate my job like they're like i love working with kids you can say how they like their job they're like with gritted teeth like it's so rewarding to work with special needs kids like you ever talk to like a special ed teacher Mm -hmm. like they tend to come into they tend to be very open-minded like you are or they tend to be speaking through gritted teeth and just Mm -hmm. you could tell they hate their job and and like at that point when i hear one of those people talk like mentally, I'm already going to Vegas and putting down money on when they're going to quit. <laughs> but I do have a question to ask you. Yes. Because a common issue with how we do inclusion or lack thereof is that the children who are supposed to be receiving services are often behind grade level, even mm-hmm. compared to their peers who I keep joking are behind grade level. So they're double behind. Mm-hmm. What would you suggest you do? Do you suggest that we leave those kids back? Ah, great question. Um, so what I will say as a sort of uh, setting up my response, um, 
the uh, enactment during, uh, I think it's Bush's presidency and his- uh, No Child Left Laura, Behind. No Child Left Behind has resulted in the majority of children being left behind. The majority of children are now left behind and our system is suffering. So if you have a child that is in fourth grade and they're on a math level of fourth grade and a reading level of second grade, then you need to meet them where they are and build them up, right? You may not be able to do that in the inclusive setting. You may have to do old school resource room, which I actually thought resource was an excellent way to help kids who were needing intervention because they were a little bit below level. It gave them an opportunity to build the skill, but also participate and do the work with some adjustments. But people kind of threw that out a little bit. Some places still do it. Well, we kind so of I had think... that in our high school, though the mm -hmm. problem was if you had to go to the resource room, it was kind of understood it's because you were an idiot. <laughs> like you never wanted to, like if someone says, we're going to take you to the resource room, you just, you feel like shit. Because you're like, oh, I must have, I must have say, failed something. Because then you have to it. walk out of the class. The whole class sees you being taken out. And they're just like, oh, there goes that dumbass. I will tell you, that is not the experience I had at my school. We would have kids asking us, can they come in? Can we come to speech therapy in the resource room? <laughs> I don't know what was going on. I guess maybe because the kids were happy and had a good time. Who maybe knows? Because it got them out of work. Like we, we loved like group therapy and stuff because it got us out of like math class. We did. We did work in our resource room. I don't know what y'all did in Brooklyn. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. Is that what I'm hearing? No, I will. I, to be fair, I didn't go to school in Brooklyn. I'm sorry for completely derailing your answer. Yeah. I, I actually didn't go to school in Brooklyn. I had a bunch of my friends did. I went to school and I'm not going to say where, but in even in an even worse spot that like no one has ever heard. Ah, got it. All right. but, but it was in New York. But, um, to go back to your answer, what to do with children who are left behind, who, who are struggling um, academically. Yes. So this is where I find that charter schools have the leverage and the ability to be creative and think outside the box. Right? I agree. Yes. So this is where you can take advantage of. Now, if you don't take advantage of it and you're in a charter school setting, then that's on you. Right. So I'm going to share a story on how I solved that problem in my school. So remember the rule is your charter cannot be approved by the state if you're not doing total inclusion. So I was told as a special ed coordinator, all my students have to be in total inclusive setting. I said, well, I have a child who is um, a student that is, I call it old school, mild, mentally handicapped, kind of like when I was a kid, the, 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 the custodian right at the school was kind of like what I kind of thought of what when I grew up, it's different now, but he was a kiddo that was intellectually delayed, very savvy, common sense, very street smart, um, couldn't write his name, couldn't read, right? But on it, conversation, you know, all this other stuff, slick, <laughs> very funny. So I said, how am I going to have him sit in a first grade class when he can't do first grade work? He said, well, he's got to be in an inclusive setting. I said, okay. So then I got three other students, right? One on a third grade level in the fifth grade class. And I'm like, all right, so I can't put in their minutes that they can be in my classroom for this amount of time, because then we wouldn't be able to keep the charter. I'm not going to break the IEP and pull them in my class longer than they should be because that is unethical. And I think 
probably illegal as well. So I had to get creative. So I did my research as a special ed coordinator. I found a homeschool online curriculum that they were using in San Antonio, Texas with their special education students. And I, I did the budget and I said, listen, I wanna purchase this, this homeschool. So what I did was, and I'll use the example of this student. When he was in his first grade class and the teacher is presenting the math lesson, she would present the math lesson he participated, he had the worksheet. I would highlight um, the answers because he liked to feel like he was a part of it, right? He would trace whatever I put. When the teacher went to the part of the kids working independently, right? She's taught the lesson, now they're doing their practice work. He would go to the laptop in, or the computer lab in the, the classroom and boop, do math on kindergarten level where he was during math class because that was the only way for me to provide him with what he needed to build him up, but keep him in his classroom setting. And it didn't require another person to be in the room. I taught him how to log on. I had visuals next to the desk for him to log on. I set him up for success so that everyone was, it's work. It is hard work, but you gotta do what you gotta do. So you have to be creative. You have to look at the individual child and you have to figure out ways to do it. And there are ways to do it. And yes, sometimes administration pushes back. You think any of my administration was like, oh yeah, Miss Bannon, we're on board with that. No, no, because I come up with some wacky stuff for my classroom. But my students needed that, right? They needed that. Um, so that's my answer. You figure out a way to provide them with what they need. And you can work within the boundaries of the legalities, right? If this is what they need to do and this is where they need to be, okay, how can I bring it to them in this setting? It's really that simple. No, I, I agree with that. And a lot of what you did with that kid is sort of what I did, I guess, on my own. Because mm -hmm. I believe I've talked about this before. When I was in third grade, fourth grade, I forget, no, third grade. Um, We had, uh, you know how they have like colored, colored books for the different grades? Mm -hmm. So every we were in third grade and everyone was on the blue book. And this lasted for about half a year until I forget how I figured this out. But one day I realized the blue book was the second grade book. Mm -hmm. So the entire third grade class was on was in the second grade book. And I asked them, I was like, well, why are we all there? And they actually surprisingly, they told eight year old or nine year old me, I forget how old I was, eight year old me. They actually told me the truth, which was. Well, we did a test when you started the grade and all of you failed it. So you're at second grade level. Mm -hmm. So I got offended because how I took that was, so you think I'm stupid uh -huh. because I'm not at grade level. So I told them like, so if I finished, because it was a workbook, if I finished the workbook before the end of the year, can I move up to the grade level book? They're like, mm -hmm. yes, but you're not going to be able to do that because at the time we had about a half a year left and we weren't mm -hmm. even halfway through the book. Like we would have had to start the next year, fourth mm -hmm. grade on the second grade book we were moving so slowly. I was like, okay. So I spent every waking moment to book home with me, worked during my lunch, worked after school and mm -hmm. breached the book about three weeks. And yep. I'm like, well, I'm done. And they, of course they didn't believe me. So like, we're going to check it. And then the uh, next day they're like, well, mm -hmm. you did finish it. So, you give, so I, I moved up to the third grade book and I was mm -hmm. so proud of myself. 
And boy, did that third grade book kick my ass. <gasps> I was like, oh, this is why I was on the second grade book. Because I actually do suck at math. <laughs> why is that so funny? <laughs> so I bombed so hard. Like, that's the point I want to add. Whenever people say success stories, or mm-hmm. even when I talk about how I did some stuff on my own because resources weren't there, mm-hmm. understand mm-hmm. that, like, this is not preferable. Yeah. Because yeah. I had to then really struggle through. It took me a year and a half mm-hmm. to get through that book, the, the yeah. next level book, because I ha- I basically had to bootstrap my way through the previous one. Yeah. Which was yeah. not the best sort of education. I didn't actually learn it, but I wasn't prepared for the next level. Mm-hmm. So that's so that's similar to kind of like what you did, but in a much crappier, more bootstrapped mm-hmm. way. And I guess my point is for all of this, that I, I wanted to add the book part. Cause I remember I told a story before, but I didn't tell a story how it ended. It made it sound like wow. it's some success story that mm-hmm. I like breezed through and I showed everybody. It's like, eh, not quite. Is if you don't offer support, they're either mm-hmm. not going to get it or they're going to get it in a very inefficient way. Yeah, exactly. The other, the other thing, you know, is, and, and this is not about do it like Stacy does it. I throw out ideas and share what I've done so that people can realize you can think outside the box where there's a way, where there's a will, there's a way, right? Um, And I think I've realized at age 57 that problem solving is my my superpower. (laughs) I did not realize it. I thought everyone else was problem solving. Um, No, no, we're not. Yeah, there's, there's definitely a way. So one of the other ways is Parents, right? So if you have a child who is reading below level, they're reading on a first grade level, emerging into second grade, and they are in uh, fourth grade class, you can give lots of wonderful recommendations to parents to help their child build the skill set a little bit faster, right? If, if that's something that's important to the student or, or, or the parents. Um, and yes, I know that, you know, oh, parents don't even come to, and oh, you know, parents don't do it. I don't give any suggestions that I have not done myself. I have worked in a population where parents do not participate, but we as a school and a leadership team took the time to create a community and environment where parents felt like they could participate. Then we were able to give them the skills so they could help their child. And that's not sending home more worksheets to do. That's saying, hey, you know what? We're working on fractions or measurements. Why don't you guys go and measure the rooms in the house this weekend for fun? Or you can do some cooking, right? And that's how you can practice your fractions, make double the recipe. There's so many ways that kids can can learn and get reinforced. That's why I love homeschool, because kids learn when they're doing something and, and they, it sticks. The paper and pencil is just a lot of times regurgitating, regurgitating, regurgitating. A lot of kids learn much faster with just the application um, and vice versa. You know, some kids uh, and those kids are not on it with an IEP, the ones who can read a book and, and they know it. So I think that educators need to do a little bit more of putting themselves out and being uncomfortable in order to reach parents so that parents can 
pull the weight that the teachers can't pull because there's not enough hours in the day during the school day. Um, and that's what I think is super important because you can't just do it in a classroom five days a week and expect it to stick or expect them to like make progress just doing it just doesn't work it's not working like that's my point what we're doing is not working Torin. it's not working if it were working i'd be like this is so great it's not working people are calling children are struggling children don't know how they can't they're not able to they're not showing they're not demonstrating it's not working so we need to do something different we need to change overhaul the entire curriculum in my opinion we are teaching crap that is outdated and these kids don't need to know. These kids can go and get an AI and get on a computer and make something that we don't even know how to do. We have got to let go of all of this like stuff that's unnecessary. We really, really do. Um, that's not my journey, but somebody hopefully is trying to make that happen, which, you know, that's the benefit of homeschool. You can teach. You don't have to know everything to be able to do what you need to do. You have to know something. Yes, reading is important. But guess what? If you can't read fluently, have it read to you, right? Reading is not just reading out loud. Reading can just be listening and comprehending. It's not always the output. Um, we just got to let go of all that. This is the only way to do it. I think that's, a, that's such an awesome line. You don't have to know everything to do something. I love that. I think that's a perfect place to end it. Um, all let's right. get out of here. Uh, yeah. yeah, this this was fun. And Stacy, that's why we're working to shift the narrative on everything autism. Remember, share the podcast with others, especially those who need their narrative shifted. We're like the Bernie Sanders meme. We're no longer asking. See ya. <laughs>